0: was just sort of blown away by the fact that I could put ideas out there and then reach people all around the world. It was just incredible to me. It still is.
1: Hi, everyone. This is Frank Blake, and I hope you're going to enjoy this podcast with David Perel. He is such a great writer and an interesting thinker. But before we dive in, I'd like to announce that Crazy Good Turns is creating a scholarship for David's course, Rite of Passage. You'll hear him talk about the course during the podcast. As I was preparing for interviewing him, I learned a lot about the course and was inspired by what David's doing with online education and the importance he's placing on writing. So I figured a good way to bring action to that inspiration would be to offer scholarships to the course. If a listener is interested in learning more about the scholarships, and I hope you will be interested in learning more, Please subscribe to our email newsletter at crazygoodturns.org backslash scholarship. That's crazygoodturns.org backslash scholarship. The next cohort will begin in September, and we will share details by email on how to apply. Now, on to the podcast. Welcome to Crazy Good Turns. This is a podcast that recognizes and celebrates people who do great things for others. I'm your host, Frank Blake, and today's guest is David Perel, and I've been looking forward to speaking with David actually for a couple of years now. I'm really excited to have him on the podcast. I have lots of questions for him, and I know you're going to enjoy listening to him and learning from him. David is a terrific writer, which is the description I'm going to get to in a bit. He also hosts podcasts, has founded an online school called Rite of Passage. Which has a mission to teach thousands of people to write online. The emails, uh, newsletters that David sends out every week are their own crazy good terms. And if you get nothing else from listening to this podcast, just get this one thing sign up for his newsletters. They are absolutely brilliant. So, welcome, David.
0: Thank you. I appreciate that. You know, it's when you start writing online, the reason why. I started and why I believe in this so much is because of the serendipity it creates and you just get to attract really cool people and being here today is a really good example of that. So thank you for inviting me.
1: Absolutely. All right. There are so many different angles um, of what you're doing that fascinates me, but I'm going to start the most basic level, the thing that most caught my eye right at the start, which is you are a terrific writer. But from what I know, at the start of your career, you didn't identify yourself as a writer or even think about yourself as a good writer. So how does someone move from that to an online course on
0: writing? There's two stories that come to mind. The first was when I was a junior in college, I remember showing a friend at the time my essay that I'd written for a class, and she looked at me. And she said, this is terrible. This is absolutely terrible. And I remember my senior year of college, I was talking to my parents about trying to find a tutor who would help me in writing, and they were friends, family friends, at a local high school in San Francisco where I'd grown up, but I was going to school in North Carolina. Long story short, it never ended up panning out. And so what happened was, as I was in college, I began to sense that writing online was this thing that people didn't realize had such high returns. And what happened was my junior year, I got an internship through Twitter. My first job came from a article that I wrote about how media was changing, and I was just sort of blown away. I was going to school in this small town in North Carolina, 5,000 people in the town, and I was just sort of blown away by the fact that I could put ideas out there and then Reach people all around the world. It was just incredible to me. It still is. When I went and I was working that first job, I was basically writing the sales decks for the advertising agency. And basically, I would write the deck, other people would do the pitches, but you know, I was doing a lot of the dirty work. But I got this feedback that my writing wasn't very good. And I remember we were pitching Bacardi, the alcohol company. And I said that I wanted it to be epic. And I remember my my boss at the time in a very kind and good hearted way saying, you know, epic is just a word, you gotta save that for nights out with your college friends and you're out of college now. You know, this is now the professional world. And he said, your writing it just has to improve. And I remember walking out of his office Asking him how do I do that? And he said, You gotta write all the time, you gotta read really good writers, and you know, kind of cliche things. But cliche not because they were wrong, but because they were true. But I just didn't realize how much depth was behind those sentences. And then I ended up getting laid off one one January evening, totally unexpectedly, had to figure out what I was gonna do. And I just said, you know what? I know that online writing works, I'm gonna get really good at this. And I just worked extremely hard at it for about the last four and a half years. So you've described
1: writing as a way of life, not just something you get good at.
0: Explain that a little. Writing is a way of life. It is is a way of being. I would say that there's three ideas that I have about the writing process. They're really simple, but I only have three of them. But each one is actually life-changing once you begin to investigate the second and third order effects of what they are. The first is that you should write from abundance rather than writing from scarcity. You know, a lot of people sit down and they just look at a blank white page with that flashing cursor of doom and they're like, ah, how do I write? The second is writing from conversation, making writing social. You know, we think of writing as almost like Thoreau going into the woods in the mid 19th century going to Walden Pond and just escaping society for two years and only then could he write his book and I say you know what no writing should I ideas should emerge from conversation we could actually improve ideas through conversation and we're always in conversation and so you're always have this little background process in your head of basically saying what's interesting what are the ideas that are really catching my attention. And then the third one is that you should write in public, that actually the, the act of publishing your ideas kickstarts a world of intellectual serendipity where people come into your life who you wouldn't have known. And so I think in the confluence of all those things, what you realize is that you don't just put your ideas away for most of the day, and then you sit down to write and start thinking, no, you're sort of always thinking about, what am I going to write about And what I do is I have 60 to 90 minutes in my day, reserved every single day. And what I try to do is by the time that I sit down to write, I'm not thinking about, okay, what am I going to write? That's what I do when I'm away from the screen. What I do then when I sit down to write is I just externalize the ideas that I've been structuring and internalizing for the last 24 hours.
1: And getting all this information, processing how to write, thinking about how to write how does that then turn into, okay, I'm going to start an online course? Why Why do you want to go teach others versus, you know, okay, I'm just going to absorb all that goodness for myself?
0: There's a couple reasons. So I would say that the first is just a very practical and utilitarian one, which was I needed to support myself. I wasn't making any money. And so, you know, after I got laid off, I had to figure out what I was going to do. And you know, I think a lot of the things that have worked well for me have been recognizing things that are already happening where sort of the universe is just giving me something and then I'm like, "Ah, now I can sort of take that energy and I can sort of structure it and make it concrete and then turn it into a thing." What was happening was people were reaching out to me cuz I was building an online audience and people especially in the finance industry which had has this culture of writing with investment memos going back to Warren Buffett, going back to Howard Marks, now with Jeff Bezos, right? These legendary memos. And investment managers realized, oh, if I write, if I start building an audience, I will then get clients, and that's a really good customer acquisition strategy. They're totally right about that. And so I was working with people one-on-one, but I was saying the same things over and over again and kind of getting bored. And so what I realized is that I could offer a better product At a lower cost and serve more people, if I turned that from a service business into much more of a product business. And I had a friend, his name was Tiago Forte, and he runs a course called Building a Second Brain that was quite influential for me. Called him up one day. I said, Hey, Tiago, I'd love to do this. I'd like to make it with you. And in five minutes, he said, Sure, let's do it. I flew down to Mexico City. Where he was living at the time, we flew down a film crew from Los Angeles to shoot a bunch of videos and start to make this thing. And, you know, be honest with you, the first couple times I thought it was just an experiment. I didn't think that it was really going to go well. I was able to support myself from the first two cohorts, and then things really began to just blow up. And I began to say, wow, there's really something here. And then, you know, on the side, you just have this this shocking rise in online education, which I am so bullish on, both at the childhood level and in terms of what's happening with online education for adults. And then, you know, it just started working. And we kept on doubling down, began to hire a team. And here we are.
1: So I'd like to get into the online education because I think it is such an interesting space. But before getting there, Would you just describe Rite of Passage? Describe your course so that the listeners can get some idea of of what it is.
0: I'm going to describe what it is by also describing what it's not. It's not like the way that many people think about online education, which is a series of pre-recorded videos, and then you sit back and do nothing. Yes, we have some pre-recorded videos. There's some value to lectures, but what we do is we have 12 live sessions that I deliver in, in five weeks. We have a whole group of... About 15 alumni mentors who take the big course, which is hundreds of people, and they make it small. We have a session every single week where it's a live writing session where people come together and in two hours, they, the entire group actually writes an article together, their own article, but we're all together. We have a s- series of nine processes that we actually go through, then what A lot of online education has tried to do is they've tried to make it easy and frictionless. We have tried to make it hard and friction-filled. And so what I've said is let's look at some of the up-and-coming experiences that people love and that are actually life-changing for people, you know, these true rites of passage. And one that comes to mind for me Rite a passage isn't nearly this intense. would be something like the Navy SEALs. You know, the reason why the Navy SEALs is so impactful for people is because it's really difficult. It's demanding. It's challenging. It, it gets the best out of you, and it's a social experience. And because of that, people develop these lifelong friendships. They never forget what it's like to go through— the training for the Navy SEALs, and we've said, you know what, we're going to make Rite of Passage similarly difficult, similarly social, where people have to rely on each other, they're challenged, they have to depend on each other, and they're constantly saying, I can't do this, and then a week later saying, oh my goodness, I can't believe what I did. And so it's a social experience rather than a solo one, it's difficult rather than easy, and it's live instead of pre-recorded.
1: My son served in Iraq, and one of the things his commander would say to his group was bonding through shared pain and sacrifice. There is that sense of, no, you actually want the friction. You don't want frictionless. And I've listened to you talk about this, and you talk about the hero's journey. And is that exactly what you were describing there?
0: Really similar, right? I think that the Lord of the Rings. It starts in the Shire and it ends in the Shire, but throughout the story of the movies, there's a whole journey that you know Frodo and 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 Co go on. You know, and I think that that is what a rite of passage is. You actually kind of end up in a place that's very similar to where you started, but throughout the experience, you actually go on. This series of adventures. And one of the things with Rite of Passage, though, that is different is we. this is one of the things I'm very most proud of. We have people who come back over and over and over again. We have students who've taken the course four or five times. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to basically create an experience. Maybe they're staying for the community. And then the ideas really begin to grow on them more. And then now they're actually writing. And now they're beginning to come back and teach others and so we've wanted to create an experience that's a lot like music, where every single time you go through, you're getting more and more depth from the experience, even though you're experiencing something that's generally the same thing. I'd love it if you talk for a little bit about
1: how you think about online education, where it is in its arc of development, and how you kind of compare and contrast to, you know, the, the physical, normal education. There's a lot of
0: different ways to think about this but one of the things that made me really excited was in this cohort there was a Ivy League professor who runs a, a management program at uh, at Wharton and he took the course and you know he's just got this beautiful zoom setup up super just sophisticated and focused, showed up to everything. And I was just worried that we weren't going to provide an experience that was up to his standards. And, you know, I got, I saw him at all the live sessions. And, look, not every single student feels this way. But he, he reached out and emailed me and he said, Rite of Passage is the single best educational experience I've ever seen. And I was blown away. I'm just blown away by the fact that he, he, he felt that. And the point here isn't that I have a great product. That could be true. It might not be true. I might have gotten lucky here. The point is that we are seeing the classic case of low-end disruption. The fact that this even could be true is not a comment on Rite of Passage. It is a comment on the online education industry itself. Where what happens in low-end disruption is, going back to Clayton Christensen's theory, you have a market which gets better and better and more expensive over time, begins to over-serve its audiences, a new offering comes in that starts off at very low price and doesn't adequately serve its customers, and over time gets better and better at a low price, and through that, the incumbent gets disrupted by... Uh, a competitor. And we have been writing Rite of Passage now for less than two years. And the fact that this is happening also is very much a result of the technologies that are enabling this. And I just see the next decade of these courses getting better and better, actual software platforms, actual service businesses that can help online educators teach. It makes me really excited for what's coming because the... The educational offerings are quick, they're snappy, they're fun, and you know what? I will come out here and say it. I absolutely think that the profit motive makes you way better. You are on the hook. Look, I just said a good thing about about my courses. Every cohort, we have refunds. We have people who are not happy with the quality of the course for whatever reason, and you know what I do? I call every single person who asks for a refund, and I speak to them on the phone directly. And I, if they just write a good reason for why they've asked for a refund, and I listen to them, I get qualitative data on what don't they like, how can we improve it. And sometimes I don't agree with them. Sometimes I agree with them so much that we radically change the the cohort. I have a really good story on that that we should talk about. And, you know, we have people who are thrilled. We have people who aren't thrilled. But you know what? Our rate of change and iteration can be really fast. And, you know, I was taking a class at Columbia with one of the top philosophers in the world. He used to run the Frankfurt School in Germany, which is sort of the one of the intellectual centers of 20th century philosophy. And he might have been a great philosopher, but he was just not a good teacher. He was not a good teacher, and Columbia did not have the proper incentive structure to get these teachers to really focus on what they were teaching and to be improving quickly, listening to students and online education, you got to do that. Otherwise you'll go out of business.
1: Universities, physical education have been there for a long time. Just what you described at Columbia, we've all experienced in schools and online education from my perspective has, has been actually sort of surprisingly slow at chipping away at that. Partly because it's just sort of uh, okay, here's a video, go watch this video. That's as boring as sitting in a room and listening to something. What has struck me about how you describe what you're doing is uh, the focus and intensity that you bring to it. But also you said something, I was listening to one of your podcasts and you said the course is a brand. And Mm -hmm. thinking about, I'm not building up Columbia. You're building right of passage, and just what you were describing in terms of that constantly iterating and improving i don't I haven't seen that really take hold in the rest of online education. I
0: think a lot of it is just an obsession, and i I really try not to be what I call a rite of passage exceptionalist. I tell this to my team all the time. To the extent that we have an advantage, it is an advantage that will go away. To the extent that there are things that we know, these are not sustainable advantages. And I was reading something yesterday that, let's just pretend it's true because it might be, that the only sustainable comparative advantage in business over years, and you would know it much better than I would, is, uh, is really high quality leadership and culture. And, you know, that's one of the things that we've tried to build over time. And it is an obsession to the smallest detail. So I'll tell you one thing that we do that I don't think other courses do. So after every single live session, what we do is we, everyone on our team sits down and throughout uh, as I teach, as we deliver the course, we have students who are a part of this, we break down every single aspect of the live experience. That wasn't perfect. I mean, that's the standard. If it's not impeccably perfect, we write it down. We talk about how do we make that thing better. And we spend 30 to 45 minutes, and then we have at the top of a notes page, we write all these things down. We're criticizing the ideas, not the not the person. And then what we do is after every single cohort, we look at all of those. We have data, qualitative and quantitative, from what students like, what they don't like, where they're improving, where they're not improving, and I did this two days ago. We then cut the bottom 10% of every single cohort in terms of what we deliver, in terms of what we do, and then we add new things over time. And so what we have is we have this constant process of destruction and creation. And By taking things out, we basically have this Darwinian struggle to make sure that every single idea, every single thing that we do belongs there, and we have confirmation from students that it works. And if you do that over time iteratively, you really begin to have a product that's that's improving, and we are obsessive about that.
1: I have a feeling that that Columbia philosophy professor does not go <laughs> does not go through that exercise. He doesn't. And I want to get back to the negative feedback that made a difference. But one of the things that also strikes me is as you're embarked on this, how many really uh, important business concepts you are importing into your thought process? And one of them is I know I've heard you talk about learning. And as the educator, the need to look at things from the beginner's eyes. And to me, that connected directly with Amazon and Bezos's, hey, it's first day, day one. Every day is day one. And I was just wondering how that interplay of these kind of core business ideas, how does that work with what you're doing? Are you very conscious about importing those into your thought process, or is it more random input?
0: Well, I am. I mean, here's what I very strongly believe. I think that Silicon Valley has developed new ways of working and thinking that are tremendously useful, and they aren't perfect. There's a lot of issues with them, but if you can study what is happening there and import those ideas into other industries, I think that you can actually have quite an advantage right now. And, you know, for example, things like loops in marketing. You know, we have normally thought about sales funnels. And so what a sales funnel is, you start off, you go top of the funnel, and then certain people come out, they're not interested in your product, then they get to the bottom of your funnel, and they buy. Cool. But what Silicon Valley has figured out is not just that, but then how after somebody purchases, how do they then become an advocate for what you're doing? How do they, for example, like with a Zoom link, right? One person has a Zoom link, they send it to somebody else, then the other person has to sign up for Zoom. And now, just because I am using Zoom, I am now going to be a marketing recruiter for the Zoom company. Same thing with sharing Dropbox folders, all these sorts of things, these sort of viral mechanisms. Now, I don't want Rite of Passage to have billions and billions of people, but that's just an idea that I have taken from Silicon Valley. We very consciously think, okay, what are the kinds of experiences that we can design that are intense enough, that are memorable enough, that get people talking about them? I would say, I mean, most of the people are coming in through some kind of word of mouth now because somebody that they know took the course. And so we're always thinking not just... How do we use the ideas that I share online to get people in, but then how do we build a system where the people who stay in are then recruiting their friends, and then the, the system really goes. And then within the course itself, you know, distribution, as you know, is extremely important. Um, you know, it's really easy to just say, oh, the best product will win. And I think that this is one of the reasons that people come back to write a passage, because They have this sort of very romantic idea that, oh, I'm going to write beautiful things and then people are just going to read them and, oh, you put ideas out in the world and the internet's this beautiful meritocracy and it's just not true at all. Like, as a writer, it is your responsibility to find your readers. It is not your reader's responsibility to find you. You need to go out and you need to basically be this magnet and you need to go – kicking and screaming around the world of the internet to say, hey, come read my stuff. Distribution is hard. It is hard. And that's embedded into the idea of the course itself. These business concepts are sort of all over the place because it's not just writing as, oh, I'm going to write a novel, and then it's really thinking about how does writing sort of appeal to both the heart and to the mind. I want rite of passage to impact our students' lives intellectually, socially, and professionally, all those three things. We go to the clouds of of these sort of romantic ideas, but then we bring everything down to the streets of practicality and progress and making sure that whatever it is that you want to do, whether you want to make more money, whether you want to meet cool people, whether you want to actually express your ideas and improve your thinking, that we can hit all those bandwidths.
1: So let's go to what was the negative feedback?
0: This was great. So, you know, I think that, as you know, running a business really humbles you. There are moments where you think that you're top of the world, that you have everything figured out, and somebody comes to you and says, you don't, son, (laughs) you know, and I tell this to my team all the time, if people are giving us good feedback we cannot be defensive. We never get angry. We have to listen. These, like, what a gift that we have. We have somebody who has come into our courses. They have gone through. They're skeptics. They're critical. And now they are taking all the ideas that they've processed, and they're saying, here's the things that I don't like, and in, th- in those ideas are the seeds of how we can get better. So this guy named Matthew, and he came in, and he bought the course not just for him, but his girlfriend. And he said, hey, I want a refund. I'm not happy with the course. And he was very cold about it, very cold about it. And so a sh- bunch of short emails. And and so we sit down. I'm in Mexico City at the time. And it's right after our fourth cohort, I think. And he said, you know what? Your writing instruction is just trash. Trash. This is about a year and a half ago. And he said, you... you you say you're a writing course. You haven't even thought about the writing curriculum very much. And as a customer, I was upset. So I want a refund, not just for me, but for my girlfriend. And, you know, we were out quite a bit of money from that. And I just said, all right, you know what? Thank you very much. Um, let's, let, let's talk about how it can improve. And so basically I just was just firing him with questions. And I just got to the essence of what he wanted. He wanted a very tactical piece, pieces of writing instruction. And at the time, we only did live sessions on two live sessions a week. And we said, you know, we're going to add a third live session. So I said, Matthew, here's what we're going to do. We are going to add four new live sessions. We are going to focus on the tactics of writing. I just sort of structured everything he said because he was totally right about this. I sent him an email right after and he calls me. And he goes, David... I'm so impressed by your ability to listen and your commitment to improvement that I am not going to take the refund. And I insist that you keep the money, use this money to build a great writing curriculum in the best writing school in the world. And I said, wow. And we went from that. We built in a writing curriculum that now it's, we're in that place of now removing the stuff that from, from it that's not As good as it could be because we added so much and changed the course so drastically from that single piece of feedback. And uh, I'll never forget it because he was so candid in the ways that he didn't like the course. And I think that our growth in terms of being able to listen to somebody like that who was angry and who was cold and bitter about the experience and actually take what he was saying and very in earnest implement his ideas, I think that that's something I'd like to do more of. Good for you.
1: That's a, that's an amazing story. On
0: a more positive
1: element, because the podcast is Crazy Good Turns and people doing great things for others, who's done a crazy good thing for you that you just go, wow, I, every chance, I want to thank this person?
0: Yeah, so the... The person is Tyler Cowan, who I know you just interviewed, and Tyler has been absolutely life-changing for me. And this was in 2018. I get this email from Tyler Cowan and he says, hey, I'd like to reward, reward you a grant, an Emergent Ventures grant, and at the time, I was making no money. I was making no money, and uh, he said, I really believe in you. And we'd like to give you this grant. And it is really for whatever it is that you wanna whatever it is that you want to do. And I said, Wow, thank you very much. This was in November, and I used that money to hire the film crew that we used to actually create Rite of Passage. Had it not been for that, I I just would have had the money to do that. There's no other way to do it. And I would have had to borrow money from my business partner, from a friend or something, and then he ended up giving me two more grants after that. And, you know, it really begs a, a bigger philosophical question of how many people in the world are $10,000, dollars $30,000 away from doing something that is really impactful in the world how many people just have nothing to their name so they're just trying to grind 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 where if they just got a little bit of cash had that injection they would get the momentum and then you know you begin to succeed and then success builds upon itself right it's the matthew principle from the bible right it's the oldest ideas that you know to whom things will be given more will be given to. and What Tyler did was he just gave me that initial spark of energy that led to everything else. And, you know, it wasn't just the money, though. It's not just a cash injection. It is belief from somebody who you admire, belief from somebody you respect, and having somebody who says, I believe in you, keep doing your thing. Because when you're first starting off, you don't know if you are Crazy or brilliant. If you're wasting your time or using it effectively, I remember calling my dad after I lost my job, and I said, "I have a plan." And over ten years, it's one hell of a plan. Over two years, you're not gonna like it. You're not gonna like it. And this morning, I'm home with my parents. He said, "Ah, I'm finally starting to understand what you're doing." You know, he said that. He said that we've had an hour ago, and. Uh, You know, it's the combination of belief and cash. I just wonder how many people are constrained on those vectors.
1: How did you happen to apply? Tyler, as you say, we've had him on this podcast, and he's just one of the smartest people in the whole world, I think. So you must have said something pretty extraordinary.
0: It's that internet serendipity thing. I interviewed him on, on my podcast. For me, the podcast was what I call a serendipity vehicle. Something that you use to then spark connections with people. And... One thing that I did because I had nothing to my name, I was living in New York at the time, and I insisted on interviewing people in person. And so with Tyler, I you know I emailed him and I said I'd love to interview you, but I will go to Washington D.C. from New York for this interview. And you know I was living in a small Brooklyn apartment at the time, and I went on a five dollar mega bus, and you. You go to the megabus all the way on the west side of New York. It smells bad. I was sitting in those seats. We are sort of facing each other like an old station wagon or something. And it was so uncomfortable. And I remember, you know, I found a friend to stay with, all these sorts of things. And I just had to interview Tyler in person. We spent, what, 60 minutes together, had a nice chat after the podcast. And I guess he took a liking to me. And one year later... After he announced the Emergent Ventures program, I emailed him. He said, yeah, you're exactly the kind of person who I would want to apply. And had I not taken that megabus and spent the three, four days that I needed, I don't think I would have gotten that grant. What a great
1: story. I want to let you pay that forward. One of the things I I mentioned to David before we started The podcast is, I love what you're doing with Rite of Passage. I think it's phenomenal. You've sort of purposely put in some friction. So this is an expensive course. This is like $4,000 for your course. Well worth it, parenthetically. But there are many folks out there for whom $4,000 for a course is a lot of money. I want to do three crazy good turns scholarships for Rite of Passage.
0: I'm in. I mean... It's really cool that you and I can partner up to do this for for somebody. We'll give the scholarships to people who are already doing some online writing. Those are the people who seem to do the best in the course, and we'll give three of those scholarships. I'm really excited. That's very cool. So
1: just for the folks listening now, what would you say? Core characteristics of someone who, who will really benefit from this.
0: You know, I think that if I were to zoom out a little bit, I think it's people who are committed to being what I call citizens of the internet. And a citizen of the internet is somebody who thinks in ways that are digitally native. You know, they are people who use the internet, who, who want to use the internet to work, to make friends, to to think. We want people from all over the world who are interested in this and... Um, People who are writing and sharing their ideas and they're voracious learners, those are the people who we want to accept. And if you can communicate that, then we will prioritize you in the process of deciding who who we're going to give the, the scholarship to. And you know, one thing I just want to say, your acceptance rate will go up so dramatically if you really take the time to personalize your message to be deliberate about why am I writing this for this position?
1: That's great advice. That's terrific. I also like, thank you for the citizen of the internet comment, because it leads me to the next discussion item. As someone who's, you know, God, is too old to be a citizen of the internet. And the internet is often, I look at it as a very hostile, angry world. And one of the things that appeals to me about what you do Uh, And sort of what the crazy good turn connection is, is there's an internet of helping folks. And if you were thinking four or five years from now, will we start to move, bend the arc a little bit more towards ways of helping people express gratitude and the like, you know, take, educate them, whatever. Or is it just going to remain this, you know, Punch and Judy show? I don't know. Oh, God, David, I was counting on you to say (laughs) great progress ahead.
0: I I would like to think there's going to be great progress. And I think that I would just phrase it a little bit differently. You know, I think that one of the things that you have is this really weird asymmetry where negative things tend to spread farther than positive things. And people who are sort of red with rage actually have the same amount of ability to speak as people who are, you know, quite happy. And what I find so odd is how in my direct messages of the private comments, the, the what people mention tends to be so kind and 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 thankful and just filled with gratitude. And the people that I meet are just so exceptional. And yes, there's this sort of world of people who are angry and just vicious. And here's my optimistic take here. The consumer internet has been around for 14 years, and if you were to go back to something like the Gutenberg press, something like a car, even you know we're we're just now inventing the Model T. You know we haven't come out with what the Wright brothers. So they flew December seventeenth, nineteen o three. So it is like nineteen seventeen right now. You know we're. We haven't even invented airplanes that really have propellers, I mean, let alone the jet engine. You know, Pan Am hasn't started yet. And I think it's really important to remember that we've basically just engaged in one of the largest social experiments in human history, one of the biggest zero to ones of not having a global village to all being able to comment on these same forums. And it's really early. We're going to get better at this, but I agree with you, it's... It can just be hard for the soul to spend a lot of time on the internet. It hurts sometimes.
1: Five years from now, where will Rite of Passage be? Where do you see your position on online education? What's the five-year thought process?
0: So Rite of Passage is going to be a business school that is through the mechanism of online writing. And here's what I mean by that. There's sort of a three-step process to getting people to become citizens of the internet in the professional sense. What you do is you start writing about a topic that you're interested in. Then eventually you get enough feedback from people and enough knowledge on the thing that you're writing about that then you can launch generally a service product in that area. You begin monetizing your writing because you don't have to pay customer acquisition costs because those people who buy are your readers. And then the third process is actually scaling up that business. I think that I can take definitely a couple hundred, maybe a couple thousand people through that process and get them to a place where they're using the internet to build their career. You know, I once heard Amazon described as a sort of perpetual motion machine, what they call two pizza teams, these small groups of sort of small experiments. And often they fail, sometimes in epic proportions like the Fire Phone. And and sometimes they begin to succeed. You have all these little small experiments running, and then you invest more time, energy, money into the experiments that work. And so I want to combine those two things, audience first products and the experimentation. We have students who come in Then they go on to become leaders in the community through our alumni mentor program. Some of them have these experimental ideas. So we have one guy named Michael who is working, who's developed a a new way of editing writing that is unlike anything I've ever seen before. He has now incubated his own business under the Rite of Passage Umbrella. And so what I want to do is I want to have students go on to become mentors and then go on to be business founders within Rite of Passage and then Rite of Passage actually a collection of, you know, maybe 10 businesses over time, all of them probably seven figures a year, you know, if you move forward and they're they just tackle every single crevice of online writing and Rite of Passage becomes the place first where you build an online audience and then you go to build the business where you can support your family. And through that, you meet friends and you don't have to slog through this journey as a solo creator. But that's the 20-year vision. That's very cool.
1: I have a very tactical question for you within that five years. So interestingly spent a lot of time talking to other business leaders about you know what's going to change from the post in the post pandemic world how will zoom sure. be used and the rest and you had a phrase when you were talking about this with your partner tiago forte of zoom and the like all all those being very good in the coffee mode but horrible in the beer yes. mode and that just nailed it for me in terms of yeah, okay. A lot of a lot of effective coffee drinking, not so much effective I mean not that in business you're gonna be drinking beer, but just the the more random interfaces, the serendipitous
0: conversations. Can you fix that? I think it was was it Alan Kay who said the future's here is not evenly distributed yet. And I love that idea. I do not try to predict the future. I just try to look at what are the things that are happening now that are definitely going to be a bigger part of the future, and then I bet on those things. You just look at this and you're like, that is something. We use this thing called spatial audio, and it's so in its infancy right now. But what it is, is it simulates a room, sort of like a cocktail party. You can sort of hop and hang out in different areas just by dragging your profile picture across the screen and as you move to a different part of the screen the conversations in one part where you used to be they go silence and then as you get closer they become louder so you can hop in and out of conversations and this is what we want rite of passage to become we want it to basically for five weeks be a constantly on chat where everybody is there for writing and all the conversations are about what are we going to write how do we come up with new ideas new things to write about and actually have this be a place where people are always going this virtual coffee shop where people can always have these conversations because what the entire productivity world is built on right now is sort of very convergent thinking in terms of this is our goal this is what we need to get done and sort of zooming out, there's coffee mode and there's beer mode. What beer mode is, you're sort of sitting back with your buddies, you're having a beer, you're just sort of relaxing. Things are sort of coming up from your subconscious mind. You're like, whoa, I just came up with a good idea. And that's sort of the relaxation phase. And then the other half of creativity, and this is what most productivity advice is really focused on, coffee mode. This is, I have a coffee, I have a deliberate goal, I'm going to figure out what I need to do. And actually, empirically, after the prohibition in America, when a bar was outlawed and sort of taken away from a community, the rate of innovation went down by something like 8 to 12% in that community just from the bars being being banned. And so it took three or four years. We actually got to a place where we figured out how to have these beer mode conversations without them. But it's very clear that just being able to sit back and, and, and converse, have a good time and just talk. It, you kind of never know what's going to come up. And I think that that's really underestimated in the creative process.
1: Without a doubt. That's a great and encouraging answer. And I've already taken you well beyond what we usually spend time on with our Crazy Good Turns podcast. I, I hope the listeners have been fast, as fascinated with this as I have been. Thank you so much for your time, What are the best ways for people who want to follow up, learn more about Rite of Passage, about you, whatever, what's the best way for them to connect
0: with that? Perel.com is the best place to go. It's P-E-R-E-L-L. That's my website. And from there, sign up for Monday Musings and Friday Finds. Those are my two newsletters, which I think that you seem to enjoy and you'll sort of They're terrific.
1: I that's a that's a unrequested endorsement.
0: I appreciate that. And so the Monday one is just a collection of the coolest things I learn every week. They're kind of wacky and random. And then the Friday one is just a bunch of links that I don't think people would find on other corners of the internet. I mean I'm sort of amazed that I find them. And then sort of through that you'll hear about the next rite of passage. I would love to have you and it would just be great to have you as a student. Very cool. Thank you, David. Thanks, Frank. Thank
1: you, as always, to our terrific production team of Stephen Key, Megan Hanlon from Pen Name, and Score A Score. And I look forward to talking with you all again. Bye bye.